I probably learned more in that three and a half hour appointment than I did the entire semester before. Um, mm. Because right. John was asking him questions about me as a female athlete. So I got to be this fly on the wall case study between John Meadows and Eric Serrano about female athlete health. And that was a really big moment for me when I was just like, so if John doesn't know, who does? Like, who's, <laughs> who, you know, if I don't, I can't find it in my textbooks. My profs don't know. Doctors don't know. If Eric is this key to knowledge, then I better listen to him. And, I mean, even in that appointment, I wanted to go into medicine and, and Eric Serrano was like, no, you're too smart for that. Go into research. If you want to make change, go into research. I mean, I went into research. I listened to him. Um, really? So that, yeah, that trip, it, it was a fundamental moment. He said moment that. In my you're life. too smart for that. Yeah. Hey, everybody. Welcome to It's Just Bodybuilding. Of course, I'm with the producer, Scott McNally. Dusty Hanshaw, my co-host. I'm Big Ron Parlow. And on today's show, Victoria Felkar, doctoral researcher, educator, also the better half to our producer, Scott McNally. So they just happen to be on the same camera in the same household. Thank you for joining us on the show, Victoria. Uh, welcome to It's Just Bodybuilding. Thank you for having me. And you're welcome. It's been a long time coming. So I think I've actually dodged it. Probably, yeah, you may have it something. Yeah. yeah, we're glad yeah. to finally get yeah. you tried. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, before we get going, um, I'll get the housekeeping out of the way. Like, share, subscribe, comment, and ring the bell. Ring the bell, and uh, definitely helps us out. So, thank you to everyone. And also, remember our sponsor, Mutant, immutant.com. Get the ISO surge. Get the all-in pre-workout, and everyone should get on the gear. There you go. That's my everyone. little bit. Everyone should get on the gear. Okay. Oh, Dusty 20, Big Run 20. There we go. Yes. Jeez. Everything's handled. Huh. Now, pure knowledge. <laughs> Prepare your brains <laughs> to just be filled with uh, Victoria Felkar's knowledge and help. She's here to help us, Dusty. She's us here to help. specifically, you and I. Yeah. Okay, here's my lead question, Victoria. How many bodybuilders are idiots? Oh, boy. What percentage? How many idi <laughs> no idiots whole are numbers. No whole numbers. That's a good point. How many she idiots are right bodybuilders? Nah, she turns it around and <laughs> makes the question. And we just all lost. <laughs> there we go. How many, how many bodybuilders are idiots? That is not the question you're looking for, Ron. How many idiots are bodybuilders? <laughs> It's some poetry there, Victoria. Um, no, you've you've really uh, really done a lot to learn about stuff that it seems like. Um, how do I put this? Is extremely important. Yes. And I would like did to you think see so. a void? <laughs> yeah, like let, yeah. sort of help everyone understand. Like I've known you for a long time. Like what? Like almost twenty years. Hey. I don't even remember what Thir year we would have met. 13, 15, somewhere oh, really? in that range. Oh, really? I thought I knew you like, oh, nine yeah. or oh, eight or something. But yeah, it was a while yeah. ago. But anyways, I think, well, 2010, you have... I think I first met. No. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's been a while. Twenty? No, 2009, I think. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. See, it's more close to I actually to met I yeah, you yeah. first, then <laughs> Dusty, then Scott. I was last. Save yeah. the best for last. Save the best for yeah. last. <laughs> yeah. And um, so I remember when you were going to school and doing your PhD out in Vancouver and you were like 
broke ass student and like Slam. doing that whole thing. <laughs> and uh, yeah, yeah. And uh, so, so I've, I've seen you develop over the years. And then next thing I know, you're like speaking at Swiss and you're like consulting with like high level competitors. And yeah, it's just awesome. So maybe give people a bit of a background into like you know, what you do. What I do. I think Scott probably can talk about that better than I can because most days I don't think I even know yet. But um, so I am a researcher. I guess that's the most basic place to start. Um, and my research looks at the human body. But if I want to like carve it out more, it's the athletic body. And if I want to carve it out a little bit more, it would be the athletic female body. But in order to understand the athletic female body, we have to understand the athletic body, male and female, and then just the body. So yeah, when people kind of go like, well, how did you get to this place? It's like, well, I've done all the grunt work and all the sciences, but then I've just gradually carved it out, carved it out, carved it out. Um, and so I look at the, I guess, pursuit of performance from cellular level to social level. So I'm an interdisciplinary researcher, which means I cross boundaries from like the hard sciences, um, biology, chemistry, applied pharmacology, but then I also look at the social side of it. So where did we come from in terms of certain drug policies or how did certain drugs come to be? Because that really shapes how they get actually used in practice, um, the histories of them, all of that stuff. So it's very much a giant, um, clusterfuck of yes. material. Good. I wanted to be the first one to drop it, so... <laughs> I, like it. <laughs> I like that she waited it and then rolled it out there, but just so you know, we use the term performance medicine on this podcast. Yes. Oh, yes. no, we're, if Moving we get forward. into that, I was like, I came home, I listened to that show and I came home and I was like, Scott, why didn't you tell them this is what I research? Um, because this part of what I so do, fast. I mean, really, Ron, you kept saying disrupting the narrative. So if we think of like performance enhancing drugs versus performance enhancing medicine, part of what my research does is try to disrupt the the narrative that's been created or the identity of these drugs. Um, why do we call testosterone in some settings performance enhancing, but in other settings we call it therapeutic and in other settings we call it um, enhancement or rejuvenating. So that's really kind of like if we claw at and scratch down, like, what do I actually study as I study drugs in sport, particularly in females, the ways in which they've been um, regulated and policed and prescribed and how that affects um, really the, the care of the female athlete. That's awesome. So, yeah. So I, I want to ask a question. I don't know if this is like anywhere near what you care about but what drugs are female olympians using like specifically <sighs> you're gonna hate my answer it's okay relative. i like it it's relative it's, i mean right, you're gonna right. have some female athletes that are um i'm just thinking you know yeah. time half lives and all that stuff there's yeah. so many variables that would there's so many different variables <laughs> and there's so much we don't know because of how um, regulated it is. It's not like there's written histories of mm. people's drug protocols. Like, you'd have to be an idiot to actually have a written diary of all the different drugs and their clearance times if you're at that level. 
um, when there's right. sponsorship and money and citizenship and like a, all these things on the line, depending on the country, even police or um, pardon me, not police time, but uh, jail time, police regulate it uh, because it's the state sponsored sports. Um, so that's it kind of crosses those boundaries between, you know, if an athlete's using a drug that's technically not illegal in society, but is illegal in sport that in certain countries, it's still seen as being an illegal act and therefore they can be thrown in jail which is just crazy. yeah um i i remember seeing one thing after mm-hmm. lance got busted you know and there was like some actual information about what he was using mm-hmm. and i was so fascinated because the doses were very low yeah and i sort of thought oh this is like an olympic style thing like this yeah. is what you'd see in the olympics so i thought maybe someone else had come forward and you know maybe you'd interviewed someone well, who yeah, I mean, I've got the list of the, the Russian athletes used. I've got all the drug list. Um, I was able to get right. my hands on that, and that was 2017-18 is when I first got that spreadsheet, and it was the results of both the drug testing and then also what did they actually have records of. And for me, a lot of the drugs that were on there, I was like, they're not using this. Like, this is... Because the drug testing is not a perfect science. Um, it's right. not at all perfect science. And a great example of this is something like nandrolone, where we have natural nandrolone metabolites in our in our bloodstream, in our urine, and we excrete them. Whether or not you've used nandrolone, that's not what we're talking about. These are natural nandrolone metabolites. And so when I saw a ton of Russian female athletes flagged for nandrolone. I was like, that ain't nandrolone. Like, no, this is not. It's either going to be a progesterone type, a specific type of contraceptive that gets used, particularly to delay the menstrual cycle. Um, Or maybe it was another metabolite of a different drug, but downstream. Or that's just their own natural nandrolone metabolites, uh, depending on if they've got higher levels of natural androgens. And then they also had their testing done right after they got off the track and their urine was super concentrated. And they were also just about to have their menstrual cycle. So like that week before, um, if all of that perfect storm came together, plus some genetic epigenetic stuff, then yeah, they might flake for an alone at a higher level than they're allowed to. Um, but I'm like, they're they're not stupid enough to use Nandrolone. Like that drug has got such a crazy political history yeah. within sport. And knowing what the Russians did, I was like, that's not an accurate representation. Um, so, you know, at the end of the day, we don't know. I think that a lot of the drugs that are being used are being used so carefully that we don't have an accurate kind of like word on the street because nobody's going to talk about it. Um, I, I can tell you what I know from my own kind of inquiry, people I've worked with, stories I've heard, but it's nothing crazy because these people are mutants to begin with. Yeah, They're not yeah. the ones taking crazy peptides and SARMs and all this other stuff. They're, a lot of times it's, um, you know, even fundamentals. There's one Olympian I've worked with that she didn't know, like she thought creatine was like s- steroid, like do not touch creatine. And I was like, whoa, wow, we got a lot of work to, to do. We've got a lot of barriers to break down because there was just such a don't take supplement mentality um, because they assumed that all supplements would be tainted. So she went through her an entire athletic career thinking that creatine was a banned substance. It, it's funny that you mention that because I've met a handful of Olympic athletes who were, I, you know, because we have this thing, like all the Olympians, they must all be like mm-hmm. right in on the, you know, doing everything they can. And I've met a lot of Olympic athletes that had no idea yeah. about 
anything. Like they didn't know anything about supplements. They didn't know anything about nutrition. They, it was like unbelievable. Like, mm -hmm. like the creatine thing. I'm not mm -hmm. surprised. Yeah. And, and so when I meet people, they're like, oh, all those Olympians are all juice to the gills. I'm like, <laughs> surprised. Mm -hmm. Like, it's crazy to me. Yeah, and the way you know I see it, it's, it's a it's a continuum where you'll have these like very straight edge purists on one side, and then you'll have like the uh, what did you call it the other day chemical warfare on the other side, um, and you can lie anywhere in there. And so I don't think we can say that all athletes are doped up or all athletes are clean. I think there is definitely an ignorance within sport that oh drugs they don't dope they've got too much regulations it's like no people do dope people are just really smart at how they do it you know clearing drugs is not that difficult to do to be honest depending on what the drug is and if you have a little bit of basic knowledge i mean there are some crazy things that can skew drug testing because it's not a perfect science um and then on the other end of it is that yes there are a lot of athletes that are petrified like f petrified to touch even um tylenol advil like these things that are absolutely a-okay, um, you know, too much caffeine. Years ago, NCAA regulated how much caffeine athletes were allowed to take. So you have this, this fear-mongering, these scare tactics, which in my opinion, have actually done a disservice to sport because we're not able to protect the health and welfare of athletes. And that to me is like a huge kind of driving force of my own work is going like, you know, if we create the scare tactic, we're not helping people. Same thing with bodybuilding. If we do the opposite, if we're so pro steroids and gear and everything else, we're not doing a service to athletes. It's the opposite. We have to meet in the middle somewhere. Right. So this leads me to, I want to go make sure people understand mm -hmm. that you are also a meathead. Yes. <laughs> and we talked about this at the beginning. And uh, you come from bodybuilding. Like, that's how I met you was at the hardcore gym, you know? Yeah. And, in Alberta. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you, you worked with, you worked with Meadows. Mm -hmm. um, you, you know, tell us about how, how you, you kind of got into that and, and, and how that stage in your life affected where you are now. Yeah. I was actually reflecting on this this morning because I was like, wow, I've had a really interesting path. So I was a classical ballet dancer growing up. I started dancing at about two and a half. And um, I'm five foot and very densely muscled even from a young age. Um, I tried to, you know, reshape my body. Puberty was not kind to me uh, at all. Tried to. Can we add a, in a picture? Like a, oh hell no! No, no. Okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no. Um, but uh, I started running to try to lose weight. I had a terrible eating disorder. Um, over, I mean, I was running nine to eighteen kilometers a day um, at 13, 14, 15 years old, and had a, I mean, three hundred calories. Talk about resilience, like. I still got straight A 4.0. Like, I'm like, I don't know how I lived on broccoli and um, sugar-free mints. Uh, I don't know how I did that. But finally got to the gym, um, and it was actually just to run. And I saw uh, a bunch of guys I trained at the Tong Louis YMCA in Surrey, British Columbia, Canada. And uh, I, I saw these guys, and they looked like they were having fun. And I, like, look over at the treadmill, and it was a bunch of women, and they looked miserable. And I was like, 
something doesn't seem like I want to do what they're doing. They are having fun. They look like they're actually enjoying what they're doing. And so I asked um, some of the guys I went to school with, like, can you show me some exercises? And I did uh, bicep curl, tricep push down, shoulder press, lat pull down. Like that, that was my rotation every day because that's all I knew how to do. Um, and I loved, like, I fell in love right away. And I was 15 years old at the time. And at that point in time, like, there wasn't women in the weight room. Like, you didn't see women training. Um, it was funny, you guys were talking about gym stereotypes, and it was like, yeah, there really wasn't anybody. Women-wise back then, like, there was maybe that one woman who competed maybe, like, in the 90s that still looked like she uh, she had some muscle and taught group fitness classes, like the, the step classes, um, had that hard edge on her a little bit, but like that was it. And um, so I actually went and I did my personal training certificate almost right away just to learn. I just wanted to learn how to train. And, um, you know, fast forward, I started working at, it was Platinum Athletic Club in grade 12. And it was like a more of what would be like a bodybuilder's gym. It was a platinum, was a gold's gym, uh, really clever name switch there. And I worked the morning and so I worked opening. So I would see people coming in to train for provincials that were, it was that summer doing their cardio. And I was just like in awe. I was like, oh my goodness, like these people are like jacked um and there was this one guy and i was saying to scott i'm like i wish i remembered his last name but his name was tommy and he was the most hardcore human being i'd ever met at that point and he taught me what trend was (laughs) because he was so lean and vascular and i was just like how do you do that and he was like trend and i was like what's trend and he brought me in a stack of muscular development um flex and a couple other magazines from the 90s and like this big stack Uh-oh. of them and he was like here and i i mean i read cover to cover i dog-eared i pulled out the workouts i had a i had one of the uh animal pack frank mcgrath posters in my room the training <laughs> how, posters. how old 17 okay um so yeah and I, I mean i loved it yeah. and i was i was really strong i was really i, I you know as much as I've got like fat genes, my fat genes also are what make me really strong. And so I put muscle on, especially after being so nutrient deprived when I started eating and my eating disorder was, you know, I'm coming out of an eating disorder and I had crazy endurance because of running. So I put on a lot of muscle and people took note because they're just like, dang, like this girl is like, she's just going and going. And, you know, people started to introduce like, hey, you know, you should go talk to this coach or you should go talk to that person. So I just really got into the bodybuilding scene and I I loved it. Um, When I started first year university, I ended up getting really sick. So my body tried to have its first menstrual cycle and my immune system shut down and it just was terrible. I gained about 30 pounds in three weeks. And as somebody who's like recovering eating disorder plus meathead, like that was terrifying for me. I kept training through it though, um, because I was like, I know if I just do enough cardio and diet, I'll get through this and uh, it didn't work. So bounced around to all these different doctors again, like fast forwarding a bit, but I, I met a guy named Jeremy Mishkinis, who is again from British Columbia. And it was because some guy at a supplement shop that I went in to go buy creatine was like, you've gained weight. And I was like, I know. He's like, you should talk to my coach. So Jeremy cooked up with him. He was just like, I don't know what to do with you. There's a guy in the forum named Mountain Dog. Here's his email, email him. 
And so I reached out to John Meadows at 18, 19 years old and said, like, help. And at that point, John was working at the bank. He didn't. He had maybe 10 clients. I don't know what he saw in me, but I am forever grateful that he saw something. Um, And he would get me to, I mean, he he helped. I mean, he's why I'm here. Um, Within six months, he was like, your body is not responding to anything I'm throwing at it. You need to come see Dr. Eric Serrano. And that trip I met... Eric Serrano, John Meadows, and Dave Tate, because I went and did a leg workout at Elite. And I, when they, Dave was talking last week when you guys talked about him, but the people that would come and, you know, train with them at legs on Saturday, I was one of those at the old compound. And they, I mean, the first time I met Dave Tate, I was doing seated uh, hamstring curl and he came over and he was, John was like, you know, pushing me along in the workout. Dave like looks at me and he was like grunted and he went and he grabbed a band and came back and wrapped my feet together. And he was like, now do it. And like, that was my first interaction with Dave Tate. I was terrified of him my first time I met him. Absolutely terrified. He's like, your squat sucks. I was like, okay. And then that leg press you're talking about, like, I got, I mean, I got just annihilated in it because I'm five feet. I couldn't even reach it. And then the guys let go of it, and I wasn't expecting just the sled to weigh as much as it did, and it just bottomed. Did it bury you? Like, absolutely. Like, luckily, my legs are short, but I just remember being like, "Oh fuck!" Like, I can't, I can't do this. Um, so yeah, I mean, that was. I think it was like one of those perfect storm because it was the right place at the right time. Meeting all of these people fueled my curiosity. I mean, at that point in time, bigger, stronger, faster had just came out, so it was like I was trying to figure out like well, why do people think steroids are bad if I know a lot of people that are on them at the gym? Like, these are my friends. My friends are the meatheads. And why is my sport ethics teacher telling me that they're unethical? Like, my friends aren't unethical. So, you know, going and burying myself in the library and going through my own health journey of women's health and just seeing that void that existed, nobody knew what to do with me. People accused me of being on anabolic steroids because I was a young, strong female. And naturally, my I mean, my lipids were elevated because of being hyperandrogenic, having high levels of androgens. Naturally, I had hair growth and my voice changed. And so I was being accused of it. And I was like, okay, but this is kind of cool because people think that I'm on these things and I'm not. That means I got to be doing something right. Like that's how meathead extreme I was. Um <laughs> and uh you know, good. yeah i'm like this must be good i mean i was at 19 i was dumbbell pressing 90s like <laughs> don't understand it um so yeah i've you know i've i guess i've i've done it i've done the like workouts i've done the hours of cardio i've done the diets i've done the body d- that doesn't respond i've gotten lean i've gotten way too fat with a lot of muscle um I've, I've done it i just i don't think people know that about me because they kind of pick my career up when it actually was more of victoria the the academic funny story though ron you're the reason why i got instagram i don't know if you know that really you forced me into getting instagram <laughs> how did that did you ron yeah <laughs> <laughs> what, what did i do my very first, if you go way back, my very first post is of with you and me. It's a picture at Gold's Gym Burnaby. You were in town training. I was training at the gym. We grabbed a picture after the workout. And I was like, yeah, send it to me. You're like, no, I'm going to post it on Instagram. And I was like, shit. That means if I'm going to get this picture, I have to get Instagram. Because you couldn't just go on and look at 
people's yeah, yeah. profiles. So you're the very first post of mine on Instagram. No kidding. Yep. <laughs> remember, you know, the guys will remember this. I, I told them about how Rich Piana made me get Instagram. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it's very possible that that's why I did that was because I was like doing what Rich did to me. Because yeah. huh. Rich was like, you have to get on Instagram. Like you have to. Uh-oh. And I was like, so I might have done that to you because that almost yeah. fits a timeline. Yeah. <laughs> so it'd be like 2013, 2014, somewhere yeah. in that range. Yeah. Yeah. And I was yeah, like, I refuse. I was like, I'm not doing this shit. Bodybuilding's for me. I don't want to take pictures. Like, I. that's not why I do this. So... Most people don't times. know that. And I've never, you know, posted workouts. I've never posted my physique. Like, that's just not, bodybuilding is my thing. Right, right. What, okay, I, I, I don't know. I, I got so many prep questions. I don't want to, like, step on the guys. You got something you want to go with first, Dusty? No, listen, my stuff is the important stuff. Yeah. This is, these are the things that people really want to know. So yeah. I think we're going yeah. to hold my stuff for a little later. Because I like to okay. put them on the spot. I want you to get her comfortable, and then I'm gonna dismantle. Okay. Yeah, I'm talking geeky. Yeah, I, I've got something. Still, <laughs> I was curious. Um, when so you went out to meet John, mm-hmm. and that's where you met Dr. Eric Serrano. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, what was that trip like? Like I know you said you met Dave Tate yeah. then too, but you were like 18 years old, literally leaving the country yeah. to go stay with this man that, that you met online <laughs> on the internet yeah, <laughs> on the forums. Sounding good. you know what yeah. i mean <laughs> and it was my it was like my you know it was, it was reading week it was like canadian spring break and uh i um oh no sorry it was semester break because it was may um i yeah it was the first time i went on an airplane alone it was the first time i went on an airplane alone to the states um, I had all my meals prep, packed too, like freezered that baked them, like everything was was good. Um, first time I took a cab alone because I had to. John was working at the bank, so he couldn't pick me up when my flight got there. So I take a cab from the Columbus Airport to the hotel in Easton. I mean, it was awesome. Like my, I have such core memories that were made that trip. Like just even the drive from where we were in Easton staying out to Elite with John and he had a Hummer at the time and he was listening to like Tupac it was the most <laughs> memorable experience of John Meadows driving through the country just like to music that I was like how, why is John listening to this um, but he you know he he really truly shaped my my both I would say my my career but also like my personal life um john really instilled in me even that trip like the importance of family values um because he he said to me he's like no i i yeah i have to be done in the gym at this time i've got to get home um you know that i've got my family duties on fire because the the twins were just born around that time and um i just remember being like oh he's so cool like he really does he's doing it he's got the career he's got the bodybuilding he's got the coaching he's got the fan like this is really cool to see that um you know eric's appointment that was uh it was like three and a half hours long um john went with me picked me up at the hotel he was just like and he gave me kind of like a warning too he's like so dr serrano speaks very fast very fast and i just was like okay yeah like whatever no i was not prepared for that i was like what (laughs) what did he just say um i probably learned more in that three and a half hour appointment than i did the entire semester before um Mm. 
because right. John was asking him questions about me as a female athlete. So I got to be this fly on the wall case study between John Meadows and Eric Serrano about female athlete health. And that was a really big moment for me when I was just like, so if John doesn't know, who does? Like, who's, <laughs> who, you know, if I don't, I can't find it in my textbooks, my profs don't know, doctors don't know. If Eric is this key to knowledge, then I better listen to him. And, I mean, even in that appointment, I wanted to go into medicine and, and Eric Serrano was like, no, you're too smart for that, go into research. If you want to make change, go into research. I mean, I went into research, I listened to him. Um, really? So that, yeah, that trip, it, it was a fundamental moment. He said moment that, you're too life. smart for that. Yeah. Yeah, because he said you're going to question <laughs> awesome. everything and you're going to regret it. Hmm. He's like you're going to be bound by certain rules with you know your different types of affiliations and um, and you're not going to be allowed to do certain things that you're going to need to do. And you either can do it and you know get excommunicated from the the medical community, or you can go into research. Hmm. Right. Yeah. And eight what? like nineteen years old, I was like, okay, okay, got it. Yeah. So what did Eric think was going on with you at the time? Like what were some of the things that he was like, whoa? Yeah, so he, I think this is also too when I realized some of the things that were really important. Like I came to that appointment with every single set of lab work I'd had done at that point. I already came to that appointment with my timeline. Everything was charted. I think my mom was a huge influence of that, but it allowed him and I to, and John just to sit down and actually like look at my life up until that point in time and go like, okay, where have things gone potentially astray? And so for, I think a big piece of my puzzle was I was put on um, the oral contraceptive pill after only two menses or bleeds. Um, So at that point in time, you know, a, a woman has not fully developed reproductively for the first seven to 10 years after her first menstrual cycle. Um, you know, the highway is getting created, uh, that all the different signals, how receptors are communicating and acting with each other, metabolic pathways. And so I essentially was like, uh, you know, we talk about young boys on an anabolic shuts down their testosterone production. If they start too young, too high. Well, this is an example of a young female gets put on synthetic hormones way too young and also has a horrendous eating disorder. So my hypothalamic pituitary ovarian axes was shut down, as well as my hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axes. So at that point in time, I had uh, been diagnosed with Cushing's disease because my cortisol was so high. And then within a month or two, it was, I was diagnosed with Addison's because it dropped. And so when I saw Eric, I had, I was not making cortisol. Um, like there was not, and it was, it was over time. I just was not creating it as I should have been. My pituitary gland stopped working. So like my growth hormone levels were just abysmal for my age. My thyroid had shut down. Um, so what the, the, his, his philosophy, idea, theory about me was that I didn't go through puberty properly. And then when I was off the pill, eating, training hard, my body finally was like, okay, let's try this again. And that's when my immune system attacked it, uh, essentially attacked my ovarian health um, and function. And as a result, my, um, my body just didn't respond to hormones anymore in the same way. And it was a long road forward. Uh, you pair that also with the fact that I became incredibly good at gluconeogenesis. I became, as an eating disorder, you know, eating 300 calories a day and exercising. So I was running, I was dancing. I was in part-time high school because I was dancing so much. 
I was not, it's like to this day, we're like, what was I burning? Because I yeah. still had body fat on me. I had muscle on me. But what was I burning? Because there wasn't any fuel going in there. Um, and so my, metabolically, I created this super fortress adaptation, which made it so fat loss was at that point, I mean, freaking impossible. I mean, at one point, we tried a, a true ketogenic diet for, for two weeks. And I, we could not get any ketones, mm. both serum Your and body urine. Would not make ketones. Nope. Absolutely not. So it was busy making, busy turning protein into fuel. Yep, yep. And yeah. that, then we tried doing. I mean, we tried a ton of different types of like dietary testing. So I would try doing like a high protein stint and getting my labs done. High carb stint, getting my labs done. High fat stint, getting my labs done. And I, I, I responded the same no matter what my fuel source was at that point in time. Um, you know, John was like, let's try doing a high rep, like six week protocol of just really high reps. I grew my, like my legs. John was like, what the hell? Like, this does not make sense. You should not be responding like this. We tried doing cardio before training. We, I mean, we, John and I, like, really tried. And I learned so much in that process. Um, and that was before seeing Eric. So we were able, when we right. went to Eric, to be like, these are all the things we've tried. What do we do? Um, so, yeah, I mean, Eric, he, I was having anovulatory cycles. I was hyperandrogenic. I had no growth hormone. I had no melatonin. I had no, you know, all these essential things we need to function as humans. I, I didn't have. And, and uh, on top of that, I mean, I'm a type A, strong type A personality. You? Yeah, me. Um, <laughs> at not sleeping, not not overtraining like it was all it was this just gross storm of things and so it was slowly stripping things back and realizing that I didn't have to train as hard as I was even though I loved it I didn't need to kill myself with dieting um I knew that my body was going to have to go backwards a bit in order to move forward um doing some hormone replacement with things like progesterone which I ne I very much negatively responded to initially because my body just had never had it before so then that led me to go into the world of like well what do I do who else is like me where are the case reports like how can I use this now as a jumping off platform to use my own experiences to see what type of research exists and th at the end of the day there was none so I gotta ask hmm. about how this relates to some of the stuff that we see with the metabolic disorders in the bodybuilding community. Because we've all seen females that have competed and had, you know, oh, look at that. Hey, buddy. <clears throat> we've all seen females that competed and then, you know, they have that terrible metabolic syndrome. Yeah. I don't know what you would call it. Yeah. How does that relate to what you had gone through? Like, which one of their axes is shut yeah. down? What's mainly going on there? Well, I think it's a, again, it's a sum of all factors. Um, you know, you asked me very first thing, are bodybuilders idiots? No, but they like linear thinking. They like one plus one equals two. And that's not the way the human body works. Um, the human body is this chaotic, interconnected, non-linear dynamic system. It's never just one thing. And if we think that that we're the fools, because it's always going to be the sum of all things and even things not even within my life that influences me, maternal and paternal health, genetics, um, transgenerational traumas, these things affect the way our bodies work and how we have progressed through our life 
affects how our metabolism or fat loss or muscle ability. There are so many different channels and different pieces that if you get enough kind of um, dysfunctions or um, non normative functioning pathways, if you put them, you know, into that blender and stir it up in a contest prep, bad things are going to happen. Um, you know, one of the things that I've seen over time is that the more, and I'm going to use this term very like, I guess, largely kind of broad, is unhealthy an individual is before they start something like a contest prep. The more likely they are to be unhealthy after the prep. It's not like their health is going to magically improve. And so if they were doing, you know, a, a ton of training and cardio and um, insufficient nutrition and they already had hormonal issues and, um, you know, psychosocial stressors and relationship problems and all this other stuff before they started prep, why is that going to get better once we add things like the, the Clen cocktail and the T3 and the Anivar in? That's not going to get better. You know, it's going to get worse. And if anything, it's going to maybe give them a little bit of glue uh, to get them through that prep. And then now you've got to pull them, you know, have people just stop. And it's like now you've just added another stressor in. Uh, we've had this period of time that you've now accumulated even more stress. Um, one of the theories that gets used in kind of uh, both psychiatry, um, also like metabolic medicine, is about what's called reserves. And it's the idea that over our life course, we have a reserve, just like a, the federal bank reserve, and that we have this reserve and that certain types of stressors deplete this reserve. And one of the things that I see is individuals starting prep when they're already bankrupt. They got nothing to do and nothing to pull from, and they'll use things like, you know, high amounts of cardiovascular training or drugs or hypocaloric to try to act almost like a cheat code, to get, like a credit card, to give them a little bit more of that reserve back. But it's false. It's not a true reserve. They don't actually put money back in the bank, and that what would actually help them is to take time away from uh, the the stressors or to try to. Um, uh, reconfigure how their body is adapting to certain stressors, um, both psychologically, socially, emotionally, physiologically, before they start a contest prep. In my right. in my eyes, it's common sense. You pack before you go for a trip. You save before right. you go and spend. Right, and our our females' bodies or their hormonal systems. I guess mm -hmm. is it fair to say they're less durable than a male's when it comes to just abusing them is that kind of the because that's kind of how yeah. we, we that, that's that's how we feel but i'm yeah. not sure if that's the way to word it you know, you know men seem to be able to handle this more yeah, is it just a test? it's a debate um that it's a big big debate because so one of the things as i mentioned is that if a if a female's reproductive system takes about seven to ten years to be able to really form so um uh, what's called a, a you know very quick menstrual cycle 101 and you know grab the hook if i'm talking too much um <laughs> no no but I uh, love a good menstrual cycle yeah. riff let's go okay so <laughs> you know women have something called the menstrual cycle uh the menstrual cycle through a very complex process it's how we make most of our hormones steroid hormones specifically i call it the big three you have your androgens, your estrogens, and progesterone. Um, progesterone is 
created by and large, the very small percentage is made through another pathway, but most of a woman's progesterone is made from what's called an ovulatory menstrual cycle. And in order to have an ovulatory menstrual cycle, you have to have the not only uh, the right amount of hormonal environment and uh, just overall physiological environment and psychological environment happening at a specific time, but also before that. So there's a ton of different processes that lead to this one point in our cycle that if everything aligns, all the stars align, we're going to be able to ovulate. So an ovulatory menstrual cycle is something that can happen um, or, or should happen regularly in a, a female. But in that first seven to 10 years, you're more likely to not have a regular ovulatory cycle because your body is still figuring out you know, what to do and how to get there. Just like if you go through periods of high stress, psychologically, socially, physiologically, you're more likely to have what's called an anovulatory menstrual cycle. And then at the end of your reproductive kind of lifespan in perimenopause and into menopause, that perimenopause is this increasing rate of anovulatory cycles until all of a sudden you got no more, you got no more juice in those ovaries to actually create hormones that are required for ovulation to occur. Therefore, we're not going to produce progesterone. And so Progesterone is incredibly important for the human body. Um, and, and when I look at a lot of the women that I've worked with over the years, what's happened is, is that they have not, number one, created an environment conducive to having regular ovulatory cycles in that first seven to 10 years. Whether it's that they've gone on the pill, they've had an eating disorder, they've had rapid fat loss, they've had trauma uh, psychologically or socially, but that, that the, the environmental, internal and external is not conducive in that first seven to 10 years. So now they're in their 20s and they don't have this, like the building blocks for this really important physiological function. And now they enter a contest prep. And it's like progesterone mm-hmm. is so important for buffering and stress. It, it um, converts and creates the neurotransmitter GABA. Well, GABA is like a blanket for our nervous system. If you're training hard, we need GABA. If we're dieting, we need GABA. We also have to have progesterone to help buffer cortisol. And so it's this like perfect kind of storm that I see that happens in individuals. So it's not necessarily that our, you know, our hormonal systems are not as uh, robust as men. That's, I mean, that's what I would call fallacy. I just think there's so much that happens in that first seven to 10 years that gets ignored. Um, People don't recognize just how important it is for, you know, women to be active, to be eating sufficiently, to not be fixating about their body image, to, you know, all the things we see that young girls are typically influenced by, those are the things that are also going to diminish their capacity to have an ovulatory cycle or at least produce sufficient amounts of progesterone. And now that dramatically changes their life course because if you don't have regular progesterone in that first kind of part of your reproductive life, you're changing the ways in which your body adapts and responds to stress. And you see this within um, con- oral contraceptive studies and that they see that women who have been put on the pill early, if you look at their brain scans and you look at their neurotransmitters in their 20, late 20s, early 30s, how they react to stress is different. How they buffer against stress is different. So we literally are now creating an environment that's not going to be allowing us to make adequate progesterone even if all the other things are going right for us. Wild. Wow. So we created an epidemic 
of an issue that no one really noticed until people started trying yeah. to compete in bodybuilding shows. Well, <laughs> well yeah, you know, uh, somewhat, yeah, because you can still bleed and right. not ovulate. And that's one of, been one of my big messages with, you know, in the fitness community is trying to get that through people's heads because, you know, I, and I, I think I might be partially to blame for this because when I first spoke at Swiss in 2016, I was identifying some of the things that, like, especially with male coaches that may not be asking their female clients about. And one of the things I said was, like, periods. And I said, you know, does your client have a regular bleed? Yes or no? But I didn't say... <laughs> Bleed does not equal ovulatory cycle because it was just supposed to be a primer. And so I laugh because I go like, crap, did I do this? Because then I have a bunch Mm. of male coaches asking their clients if they have a bleed, but they don't know whether or not they're ovulating. Shit, now I've been, you know, last whatever long it's been now, I've been trying to like reverse that because women can have a bleed and it doesn't mean that they're making either sufficient progesterone, estrogens, or androgens. Women's uh-uh. vaginas bleed for a whole host of things. They're not all hormonal. Can I use There's that so as like the oh, opening clip right yeah, there? Yeah, that's <laughs> the opening clip. We're cutting that one right there. <laughs> Just right away. <laughs> all right, we're set. Wait, what? <laughs> what? What? What's the biggest mistake? What are the what's what are the biggest mistakes that if you just think strictly bodybuilding, if you step yeah. away from like step away from even the health? <laughs> what what, what are some of the biggest mistakes that women make yeah. prepping for shows? This is a two-hour show, just so you know. <laughs> One, <laughs> they're not healthy before they start. Right. So that's so number sort of one, and, and I say that were. in terms of, and I and I, you know, it's twenty twenty-three. Health is not merely the absence of disease. It's not. Right. So just because you don't have some diagnoses or in your mind all is well, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're healthy. Um, If you don't have a healthy relationship to your body, why is that going to get better if you're prepping to stand on stage pretty much naked and get judged by other people? It's Mm -hmm. not. Like, it's not at all. And if if you're competing for... Uh, the purpose of trying to uh, prove other people wrong or to try to just get the app. I mean, you can get the abs without stepping on stage. Like it just the, some of the motives that people go into the shows with, I'm like, this is much bigger psychological, emotional, and, you know, historical trauma happening that we got to work through before we can do this safely. Um, I see people that start prepping for a show when they don't have the financial resources. I see people prepping for shows when they don't have the time resources and they try to cram all of these things in. And it's just like, okay, hold on here. What you're asking your body to do in a contest prep is a massive freaking undertaking. And I don't think people always understand that. And that some people can do this safer than other people. Some people have unlimited financial resources. Some people have jobs that allow them to take off and train halfway. Some people have um, a, uh, you know, 
just a the way in which their genetic epigenetic environment is, it allows them to buffer against certain types of oxidative stress better, therefore recover from workouts better, uh, or their hormonal environment. They, they have that ovulatory cycle to begin with, but not everybody does to begin with at the beginning of a prep. And so I just see that people are, you know, starting a contest prep, male or female, and they don't recognize where they are today with their health and where they're asking their body to go. And, you know, just thinking, right. do I have the resources to do this? And yes or no, if I don't, what do I have to do to get there? And so that kind of brings me to my next thing is that once people, quote, get healthy, it's like, you know, it's like a road stop or like a rest station. They're there for five minutes and they're like, hey, done, on to the next, prep, here we come. And it's like, no, you have to be able to maintain a certain level of health so you can actually rebuild that reserve. It's like if you go and you work a double overtime shift and you get a higher you know, pay for that day, well, that's not going to help you save money. That's one day. Right. That's one shift of working more hours. And so you, now we have to think about how can we build up and almost get a surplus of resources, uh, you know, basic health economics almost of sorts where it's like we need to have this surplus of resources because we know we're going into like financial crisis of sorts when we start a prep and so that's kind of my number two so a big part of that is three when we talk about like what my area of expertise is which is like women's health and hormones and reproductive health and ovarian health is that so many individuals are going into a contest prep and they're ovarian hormone function is already in absolute disarray and they have no bloody idea about what the repercussions of that's going to be and it's something as simple as you're not going to improve your ovarian health well in a contest prep state like at the right. end of the day the fundamental things that we know diminish the ovaries ability to make a healthy harmonious assortment of hormones you're asking the complete opposite of it and so mm. now we're not creating even not you know, we're just simply not creating the best environment for fat loss or for um, maintaining muscularity or being able to buffer against stress and now let's add some drugs in because that sounds smart and so people right. then start adding <clears throat> in androgens or um, uh, aromatase inhibitors or stimulants or I mean god knows all the other shit that people are doing now and so it's just you've literally created this this world that is so opposite to how the human body functions well and um is really even just conducive to your goals before you even started we could do that we could get you in that place do you, do you find that there's a struggle with people? Because um, what I found interesting on the mental health side that you touched on earlier is you take an athlete who, let's just say, they did start in a good place mentally mm -hmm. and physically and hormonally and financially. Um, and I've had this many times. I typically convince women not to compete mm -hmm. when they come to me or at least run it through their head like, what if we do a photo shoot? Yep. What if we do something else? And yep. the reason that I started doing a lot of that is because you take a woman who's getting ready for a show. She's in the best shape of her life. She's, you know, as far as her look, I should say. Mm -hmm. um, you ask her the night before the show. She's ecstatic. She can't believe it. She's thankful. Harvey's mad. Um, and uh, then they do the show. They take sixth place. Yeah. 
Now they're completely unhappy. Mm, they cannot yeah. believe how bad they look. Yeah. Then you start a reverse mm -hmm. properly. They're in phenomenal shape, better than they ever were, but now compared to competing, they're fat. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And now they're ready for their next prep. And that's the area that I find a lot of people fall into is this, mm -hmm. like you said, now the reserves are already at zero and it works for a little while. Yeah. For whatever reason, whether it's manipulation, just effort, whatever, yeah. it works until it doesn't. Absolutely. And that's when they switch coaches. Yeah, do another show. yeah absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and, and here's the thing is that they may, so I'm gonna try not to tangent here, but right now more than ever, I'm really proud of our industry for getting on top of things like lab work and blood pressure checks and you know keeping your health in check but we're talking about physiological health mm -hmm. if you're going to go see an md you better well also be seeing a mental health practitioner and i say that for my olympic athletes that are sprinters boxers whatever the discipline is what you're asking is fundamentally destructive for our brain at some level because you're not only competing with yourself but you're asking yourself to compete with other people and that even the most like person with like, the most grit and, and fortitude, you, I mean, I will never forget the conversation I had with John Meadows backstage at the Vancouver pro. I will never forget this conversation because I think we all think of John as this like superhuman when it came to like emotional grit and he is, and I got permission to share this cause him and I talked about this before he passed, but, and you know, he, he said to me, Victoria, like, how can I train as hard as I, cause he's like, I got, you know, I got to go somewhere when I am this lean, that's beyond me. Like, how can I go and, and every single day of that prep, think about coming out first, coming out first, coming out on top, you know, just demolishing my competition, doing it, doing it. And then the day of the show, I have to turn that switch off and I have to try to be okay with last call out. Hmm. I have to try to be okay mm -hmm. with getting last place is there something I'm missing here? And I was like, John, there's no switch. <laughs> like, it's not a light switch. Like, there is no switch. This is, a, this is a battle that you're grappling with. And it's something that I think a lot of other athletes grapple with too, is this, um, this beautiful thing called self-compassion, number one, um, where you can be compassionate for yourself when you're you know, on this stage. But at the end of the day, I mean, my dad was here this weekend, we were talking about it. It's like, Sport competitions are fundamentally about an unequal playing field. There are always going to be people better than you in some sense mm -hmm. of the way, even if you are first. That's the, I mean, that's the beautiful thing about competition. But, you know, Dusty, to your point here is that, like, athletes need to have their mental health in check. Mm -hmm. You're creating an environment not only just by what you do, but also by training. I mean, we know overtraining has a impact on our neurotransmitter and our brain chemistry. We know that mm -hmm. hypocaloric has an impact on our neurotransmitters and our brain chemistry. We know that certain drugs do. So if you're doing that and you already have some subconscious kind of connections that have been built, that there can be things happening underneath the surface that you're maybe not even aware about and that can that get flipped on the day of that show. Um, you know, mm -hmm. myself is I, I made that decision in in 2014 to to not, or 2013 to not compete because I was like, okay, I had a horrendous eating disorder. And now I'm going to ask myself to prep 
And I'm already like, and I was lean at the time and I was in shape, but I was like, this isn't going to get better. Like mm-hmm. if, if an alcoholic is not going to voluntarily go into a bar and be surrounded by people drinking for fear of relapse, maybe I shouldn't compete. Maybe right. that's just not good for me personally. I think we need to be more honest with ourselves. I think we need to right. be more honest about that that thing that makes you tick and gets you up at 5 a.m. to go do your cardio or, fuck, I used to do it at 3.30 in the morning, was also that thing that was simultaneously absolutely detrimental for my health and well-being. Well, don't you think that that evolves as well? Because I know with people I've worked with, um, men and women, but to be honest with you, I always say women are more hardcore. Uh, it's not necessarily oh, accurate, percent, but it just seems to be. And what I run into is when people's addiction mm-hmm. to working out mm-hmm. overrides their addiction for results. Mm-hmm. Uh, Absolutely. Competitively, forgetting about mental yeah. and everything else, and I have to explain to them, okay, we have to decide now. Mm-hmm. Is your goal to work out for three hours or is mm-hmm. your goal to get better because I need mm-hmm. you to go home? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Well, experience. I mean, have you, can you honestly say to yourself that somewhere in your bodybuilding journey that you maybe haven't done an extra set even when you knew maybe something was not, you know, a knee wasn't tracking properly or a tricep wasn't working. Maybe you had too many zingers in your elbow, but you're just like, fuck it, I gotta get that last set in. I think we've all done mm-hmm. it. We've all taken oh, yeah. ourselves to that next place. And in, in the pursuit that we're doing, we think that's what's required. And you know, sometimes wisdom comes in here eventually, I hope. Uh, some people have the ability to get humbled, usually by injury or strife or something. And then you know, they learn from their experiences, their mistakes, and they're able to apply that to move forward. Other people, they're still in that tunnel. Um, Right. My, my colleague, uh, Dr. Michael Miltek, and I were talking about this with one of the, the patients we work with. You know, there's an action phase that, you know, how do I you lose fat versus an exploratory phase? Mm-hmm. How can I get better so my body will lose fat as it should on its own right. without a lot of effort? Mm-hmm. You right, can't right. flip somebody to from action into exploratory. They got to find that on their own. There is nothing you can say to change them. Right. And that's a hard place to be for a coach. It's something I still struggle with. I mean, Scott, he helps me with that a lot because I'm just like, I just want them to be better. Like, why can't they just listen to me? And it's like, wait, no, I've been that dipshit before that did extra Mm -hmm. training when I wasn't supposed to. Or even... Even like the gear talk on the other podcast, because we, you know, we do a lot more conversations about like how to use different compounds and stuff like that. We've gotten uh, people who have said, well, a couple guys who are like, hey, you know, when did you guys get into this like health TRT thing? Like, you know, we just want to learn how to run a lot of steroids, basically. And and it really is, you know, that's basically what I've heard. Like, well, you know, we need to do the high doses, you know. And well, what do you need um, me for? Yeah, take more. Well, exactly, right. <laughs> and and I guess and and part of it is knowing you over the years of really recognizing that the healthier we are. Because that that goes back to really everything with bodybuilding. Mm-hmm. The healthier we healthier we are, the easier it is to reach our goals. Mm-hmm. So I do think that as a coach, you know that that's kind of where I'm trying to direct people nowadays. Is like before I used to feel like 
You just needed to push harder to, I would think of bodybuilding as forcing the body to do what, like do my will, you know what I mean? Yeah. Versus getting the body to feel good so that it'll just do it on its own. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. Well, I think control is a big thing. You know, we all have a sense of false control. Like we think if we increase cardio and decrease food, we will facilitate fat loss. We are in control of the human body. Yeah. The reality is we don't have any control over it. Like we don't even understand most of the things. It's space. We understand so little about so mm. much. And that that equation may work for a small percentage or a large percentage of your clients, depending on who's coming to you. But I can tell you, the, the women that come to me, that equation don't work. Um, right. All the things that you you know we think about facilitating fat loss or muscle gain or whatever, that's not where their body's at. And by the time they come to you, they're already in a position where they have tried yeah. everything. All the things. Yeah. All the things and even the things they shouldn't have tried, they've usually tried by that point. And I think that, you know, when we think about like like the, the use, especially in women, of drugs, drugs can create a cheat code for a little bit until they don't. Like, yeah, right. you know, same with the men. It's like, you know, T3, cool, yeah, great. But what happens when you go off that and your thyroid is still fucked? Like, what happens when you pull out that Anavar and then you go and, this is like one of the biggest pet peeves that I have, that people go like, well, I didn't virilize last time, so maybe I should double it. I'm like, what? Right. <laughs> what? Like, well, the... What? <laughs> I always say that uh, drugs hide mistakes. Absolutely, when they work and that's for you. Where, yeah, when they when they click, and that's the issue, uh, a struggle that a lot of us have is getting people to understand. I need to be seeing your results yeah. without drugs. Yeah. Once we're on that path and things are happening, and we know yeah. they're happening, and we have data that you are improving, yeah. well, then sure we know what happens if we toss even the smallest thing in. Yeah. But the yeah. problem is people throw the drugs in first, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. if they're lucky, see the results, and they don't realize their training is off, their sleeping is off, their mental state is off, all these things, mm -hmm. and then when the drugs fall out, that's the, mm -hmm. you know, the drop out of the bottom. It's, it's a very tough conversation that I can't even imagine the level of yours because mm -hmm. it becomes very difficult for us as individuals to speak on our own experiences because mm -hmm we're all very different, you know? So how your body responds to drugs, the fact that I literally don't feel stress ever in my entire life mm -hmm. plays a role in that. You know yeah. what I mean? It's, it's yeah. been that, like, it doesn't matter what's happening in my life, I don't feel stress. So that's Bless, one of those I things wish, it's like, I wish. you know? <laughs> but it's one of those things where it's hard for people to identify when yeah. they see yeah. a terrible schedule and no sleep and all these things. Yeah. Like, oh yeah, I lose fat, no problem. Yeah. And they're like, what? Yeah. Well, you know, and I think one of the questions that I always ask people, and I've talked about this a lot when I like my education stuff is like, do you have the fundamental building blocks of being a good human in place? Like, let's not even go to body, but like, let's not talk about protein intake. That's like, no training volume, not none of that stuff that is advanced. Let's like whatever below is below bro. Like we got to go there. It's like, right. are you sleeping? Yes or no. Right. <laughs> are you eating yes or no right. are you drinking enough water yes or no and no no room for maybes like i want yes or no 
Very few things mm. in life I want binary. This is one of those ones I'm like, I want you just to evaluate yourself. We'll talk about it after. Like, do you have social connections? Are you going outside? Are you moving your body? <laughs> like the basic fundamental building blocks. And if we don't have those in place, don't don't go forward. We got to get those in place first. And then we can take mm-hmm. it to the next level. And then we can right. get into all this stuff about like training volume and things like that. I just think that, you know, if 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 we think about our education system, like people are, are trying to go from kindergarten to postdoctorate. Right. With skipping everything in the middle. All of those fundamental learning skills, right. all of those core memories, all of those soft and hard skills, they are skipping forward. Because they're going right. from I'm literally doing nothing and I'm not a do have enough for, you know, fundamental being a good human. And now I want to know about carb cycling, uh intra-workout substrate utilization on, on yeah, I was gonna say on trend. You know, doing doing a three a day training. Yeah. Best mm-hmm. split. And I'm just like, wait a second here. Like we literally just skipped so many steps. And how? Because yeah. you got the cheat code, right? You got drugs. That's how we're able to do it. It's like the you know, it's like the Adderall. We just whew, all the way forward. I right. I had a guy I have a guy that I know pretty well and I know he doesn't drink enough water. Yeah. He's got a real bad habit. He even says, like, you know. And the other day he was in the gym and he comes up to me and goes, Hey, he's got money, right? And he's like, "Hey, should I be on GH? I can get the good stuff." <laughs> and, I go, and I and I I looked at the clock and I said, "Cause he works weird hours." I looked at yeah. the clock. Go, when did you get up? And he said, "I got up at noon." And it was like two thirty in the afternoon. Yeah. And I go, "How much? How much water did you drink before you come to the gym?" And he's like, "Uh, well, I had a shake." And I go, "You should have had like at least two liters before you even got to the, yeah. the front door." So don't ask me about GH. And he just laughed. He's like, oh, yeah. yeah, you know, yeah. but My, that it is like, that's a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then you got to think about when you go into periods of intentional high stress, a.k.a. contest prep or athletic prep or whatever it might be, your reserve. So if, if the fundamental building blocks are building your reserves up, what do we have to do if we're going through like, you know, economic turmoil we want to have more in the bank we want to be as as um as ambitious with our saving as we are with our spending and how do we do that we double down on the fundamentals we don't pull Mm -hmm. sleep back i i remember saying that on a podcast years ago now where i was like yeah like if a client hasn't slept i'll you know tell them not to go do their cardio what's more important is them either chilling the fuck out or getting a nap in later in the day and I don't want that being another stressor to add to it. Because the reality mm-hmm. is is that one-offs are okay. It's when this becomes habitual, we run into issues, right? If that, that one meal you miss is not gonna make you drop 10 pounds, but if that one meal now turns into one meal every day for the next six weeks, which then turns into two meals for the next six weeks, it's the habits that we start to form. And that when we're in a stress state or anxiety state or you know just feeling on overload, it's really easy for our poor amygdala to be like, you don't need that, bro. Like you're good. You're you don't need that. That's it's a survival mechanism. It's what's allowed us as humans to evolve to where we are today. Um, and so I just think that people, you know, we the the pursuit of high performance is inhibiting. Whether we're talking about um, 
uh, athletes or CEOs or you know whatever tech entrepreneur whatever we're talking about if they're going to a high performance world there's going to be things that are going to have to um, maybe suffer as a result intentionally though Mm -hmm. we know that intentionally they should be intentional at least and so like the way that you know back to performance it all comes back to drugs eventually but yeah i love yeah i love this example because to me this was like such an important part of my learning was that if we think of like health or i'm gonna use the term health but we think of health as being this like level playing field here so if we think of prepping for a bodybuilding show you're doing this with your health right we're we're going we're going under and so when we use supplements or if we use certain lifestyle things or drugs uh we really should just be doing this because if we go above what we have the threshold and the capacity for i mean i can get super cellular and super science here but like if our receptor um I mean, signaling and the ways in which we were able to metabolize certain compounds. If we go too much over, we, we, we're not going to be able to handle it. We're going to screw ourselves up. So you may be able to go a little bit over, but you got to come back down again. A little bit over, you got to come keep coming back up and down, up and down, up and down. But really, we got to think about the, you know drugs, medicine, as being restorative. You're right. already a mutant. Let's just keep you a mutant. Whereas, mm-hmm. and that was what the the German model was in sport and sport medicine. It was the you know the German model. If we think about like the um, East Germans and why they just kicked everybody's ass and everybody was like, oh, they're state sponsored doping. It's like, well, actually, they were just trying to keep their athletes healthy. And then the right. good old American model was like, fuck them, double down, Boop. exactly. <laughs> if we'll one is show good, you. Is better. Yeah, we'll show you what's up. <laughs> And then, A, now we've got all these athletes that have cancer. We've got all these athletes that are prematurely dying. And it's because they did this. And the saddest thing is they never had the foundations in place. They mm-hmm. never were going to, you know, if the the Germans were getting told when to wake up, when to sleep, what to eat. They were literally in, like, camps. Whereas, you know, left to your own <laughs> devices, you're going right. to do what you do. And, and that it's just such a scary world because right now with bodybuilding, it's like, we go back to females what i'm seeing is that women are using things and i saw this coming back in like arnold 2017 women are yeah. using things like fillers and botox and laser hair removal and all of these different cosmetic ventures to essentially erase certain really important uh, visual or visceral effects of, of androgen, I'm going to say abuse at this point, um, that are the end point of a huge, massive chain of things happening internally and probably for some women oh, quite a while. But they're taking that end point that it used to stop women in their tracks and be mm. like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And now they're just like, we got this. A little bit yeah. of laser here, a little bit of resurfacing here. We're good. We're fine. Awesome. On to the next. And I'm going, okay something is wrong with this because your body if you're not even going to put the things in place to begin with that you need to do this safely and healthy and if you're not going to listen to when you're getting some of these warning signs that you're literally erasing them when is it going to end right all right let's do some fun stuff this is fun dusty's got the fun (laughs) dusty's got the dusty's got the funny stuff ron your mic is off 
You're off. You're off, Ryan. We can't hear you. We can't hear can't you, Ryan. Can't hear you. But it looks like he was saying that something was great. Really important. I loved all that. Yeah. I just sat there and absorbed it all. It was great. That's, good. That's the least <laughs> amount of talking I've done for a while. Thank you. <laughs> that was fantastic. Dusty had Dusty had the comedy. Dusty's here because he's the kid that brings the comedy, and well, he had some ideas. These these this isn't comedy. These are important steps in this uh, new family's relationship, and we are checking their ability before either one of them competes to answer these questions first. So, uh -oh. first up is the newlywed game. Even though you're not technically newlywed, but we're about to find out some things on your guys' opinion. So. I'm going to ask a question. You point at yourself or you point at the other person. Rapid fire. Ready? Wait, what do you mean? Okay, Who's, the, the first one, I, I'm not sure how it goes. So listen, we'll, you've never seen the newlywed game. It's simple. No. If I say, which of you is a boy? You point at yourself, Scott, oh, she's going to point at you. Okay, gotcha. And I just got in trouble by a bunch of acronyms. Yeah, Anyways, yeah. Um, <laughs> who's the better cook? <laughs> Who's the funniest? Mm, yeah. Don't be a pussy, yeah. Scott. There yeah. we go. We're, yeah, I'll, I'll go with me. <laughs> Although sometimes, She's funny. sometimes I pull out these jokes that even I laugh at. So. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. Uh, they just like out of nowhere. pant joke. No, bro. How you like so them apple bro. stuff? Yeah, so like, bro, so, so bro. bro that Scott's like, where did this even come That's from? That's why I married her. Yeah, his virgin ears. Who's the better driver? She, you, put, you put a bottle of Trent in your Christmas stocking. I love it. Okay. It, de it depends, depends on, on what you define as better. <laughs> <laughs> uh, see, this is good. Come, give me examples then. You got to answer who, the question. Who will get us there fastest? Who me. will get us right. there with the most amount of hair still on our head? I trust her driving. I, I I'm very confident in her driving skills. She's she's by the book, hundred percent. Stops hundred percent at every Who stop sign. Who uses their turn signals? <laughs> See, I like understands you, that the speed limit is just a suggestion. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. There we like go. <laughs> okay. Okay. Who's more likely to get arrested? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Who spends more money frivolously? That's <laughs> <Yes>, pop. <laughs> yeah. There it is. Who has better style? You're pretty stylish. No, you are. Wait. I'd say you're pretty stylish. Not, I'm going with you. I have not gone shopping in like five years. But you're just pretty, so you don't have to try. There's, there's that. I'm going with you. We never win this one, guys. That's awesome. Who is more likely to lose their keys? Probably me. Yeah, you do. <laughs> <laughs> All right, this is this is getting good. We're getting to the important stuff. Who has better music taste? Uh -oh. Uh -oh. <laughs> I knew that would happen. I, I don't like robots having sex. It's not not my jam. <laughs> oh, I'm signed so with Victoria on this. I forgot about that. <laughs> All right. Who is more likely to move to a secluded island? I don't feel like I'm me. I feel like me. I like yeah. we're getting some disagreements here. This is yeah. fantastic. I don't leave the house. <laughs> <laughs> like when do I leave the house right. other than to Go shoot? To the range. But I could do that at the secluded island. So uh, that's yeah. a valid point. Just do it right, from your front porch. A couple more a coffee in your hand, Scott. Yep. Yep. A couple more before we're on to the next round. <laughs> Who showers more? 
Yeah. Boom. I'd say, oh, probably a little bit more. I sweat yeah. a lot when yeah. I train. <laughs> I sweat a lot when I train. All right, perfect. And I know the answer to those, too, so I don't have to go those. Okay, now we have a few that are for all three of you. I'm just the host on this, so I need your answers. Okay. Overrated and underrated. Seinfeld, the television show. Still underrated. Still underrated. History will. History has to. History will remember it properly. She won't overrate it. She won't watch it with me. What? Why? I I think that thirteen-year age gap (laughs) makes it so it was cool for him, and it's not for me. (laughs) (laughs) You'll have to wait. All of us old. Here's my suggestion: you have to watch a couple key episodes from a historical perspective. Just understand, like we get Ron's guide to Seinfeld. Yeah, we could yeah. use a couple that. of the Emmy oh, yeah. winning, you know, pick a couple of the Emmy winning uh, episodes that were really like, you know, the contest. Watch a couple of those. Yeah, like there's there's a bunch of them, right? And you watch watch those ones and you're like, mm, yeah, this was an important show. Now, <laughs> I did get her watching Always Sunny in Philadelphia. And oh. now. Well, it's Seinfeld on acid. Ron, <laughs> would you agree with me that it is it is a travesty and it should be a crime that Dusty has not seen this show? Always Sunny in Philadelphia is is absolutely brilliant. I mean, even the new episodes, which are like, you know, they're in season 15, so like it's kind of ridiculous at this point. Yeah. But they're still funny. Like I, I, I laughed out loud to one the other day. Did you? Yeah, I'm, I'm watching season 15 right now. I still laugh out loud. Like, like, uh, like, bah, like laughed out loud, you know? But the, the first literal. like, the first 10 seasons are just like ridiculous. Yeah. And then Danny, Danny DeVito joins in season two. Two. That's why. So we started in season one, and I we watched a couple, and I was like, "But this isn't a good example of how good this show is." So we jumped straight to season two, and I think that's where it takes off. So you got it. Season one. Are you hooked then? Yeah, yeah. Victoria, are you in? Are you hooked? I am. She's not hooked, dude. No, I am. It is. Yes or no? It's like your questions. (laughs) It is entertaining. They are. If I may say, are, do you think they're like the worst people in the world? No, they're horrible. No, people. no, no, they're pretty awful people. They're also they are. They are awful, but they're such. Um, they're such they're characters. Like they're like this like character foil on steroids. <laughs> yeah, there goes. She goes in and bringing drugs character? into it. <laughs> Who's your favorite character? On Always Sunny. None. None? Because <laughs> they're all awful, right? Like, they're all awful people. It's a trick question. Well How about done, you, Ron? I think that at the end of the day, I think that... I think that I like Dennis the most. Dennis He's, is good. I think Dennis is the most evil. Yeah. 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 He's the most... There's something really broken inside Dennis. Yeah, and it's, he, uh, he who reminds yeah. me of the average Vancouverite. He's he's sort of like he's sort of yeah that pretentious like yeah Super pretentious, yeah ridiculous yeah. insane yeah yeah With the vein like, and the, yeah just, I like Charlie yeah. Charlie's my Charlie's my guy yeah yeah Charlie's the greatest idiot yeah. in television history yeah <laughs> you got to watch it Dusty I love that season I two. But I have already completely derailed this episode. This is what I do. That's what I'm here for. Go ahead. Okay. Another over-under. 
pre-contest, switching from oil-based to water-based drugs during prep. Totally overrated. Overrated. Unnecessary. Love this half-life non people don't seem to understand all that. This just blows me away. Yeah, thanks. Okay, good. I had to do that because I had this argument just the other day with somebody who was arguing to the death that it was time. And I'm like, your pictures say it is not time. Your pictures say it is time to change nothing. (laughs) You will change nothing. You (laughs) You will like it. Ah, since you guys were, this came up this morning because someone that we know is doing this. Bachelor and bachelorette parties. Overrated. Overrated. Way overrated. I never gave a shit about any of that stuff. Yeah. I don't like humans enough. I don't like any (laughs) celebrations. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, oh, really, Ron? Thanksgiving? Thanksgiving? Ron? That's a meal. That's a meal. (laughs) Celebrations that are solely based around food. That's that's acceptable. I'll take all the food all holidays. Right. Come on now, that's ridiculous. It's Don't different. step on the food holidays. Yeah. Phenomenal. This one's personal. Hip thrusts. Underrated for me. Underrated. What are you practicing something at home? Go ahead. What's everybody else say? Technically, yes. So this, yeah, you go ahead. It wasn't a it. sex joke. <laughs> Yes, it was. It wasn't, and it was. I have a lot of thoughts on this that cannot be contained in one word. Yes. Oh, so are you saying they're accurately rated? Because it's okay. You can say that if you want. That's a thing. Uh, I don't know. No, 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 I think think it's it's needs elaboration. Like maybe like I could footnote it. Like that's what I I asterisk. You're allowed, but you you still have to say what you say, and then you have to defend yourself. That's allowed. It's key. In the current climate, I think they are. That's all the climate matters. Overrated. There we go. And I think that although a brand new study came out last week on this, okay, but this is my thing: is that I don't think people are doing them correctly. Mm. I think that people are, um, you know, in our lovely black and white industry where people are falling into all these camps, there's this bandwagon of hip thrusts that are leading people down this road of, you know, do or die, the best thing that ever was, and they're failing to see all of the other movements that are out there and perfecting those and working on those. I also feel that individuals are not actually using their glutes a lot of times. They're using everything. Like, I mean, it's like doing a, it's like doing a deadlift for powerlifting versus a deadlift for like bodybuilding style where people are using everything, including their big toe to get that bar up versus like the fine tooth chisel or even Mm -hmm. even an axe versus a chainsaw. And I, I, mm-hmm. I look at people from, especially from like, and I can get super sciencey on this, but I look at people, especially women in the fitness industry with hypertonic pelvic floor muscles, and they're just going to fuck themselves up because they are not using their glutes. They're using mm-hmm. their pelvic floor muscles to do it. And they're you're mm-hmm. already having a hypertonic pelvic floor, and it's just like, good Lord, no wonder we have so many women that are struggling with constipation and, I mean, sexual dysfunction and urine issues. It's like, because you're not using your proper muscles. You're not using your glutes because you're using way too much freaking weight to do it. Right. Can we just say that it's because they're doing hip thrust so they'll get off the Smith machine? Can well, we just you know, blame I, it? Hey, no. I, no, Let's I, lie for a minute. I started with <laughs> hip thrusts, Dusty. I started with that. The, my mom had a Jane Fonda book 
in the basement from the 70s. And when I started my <laughs> fitness awesome. journey, I used that freaking Jane Fonda book. I learned a lot, too. Because, it re- I mean, mm. I learned, like, about what hip thrusts were. Scott, uh, what is it? Over or underrated? Do I have good yes. glutes? Oh, to- uh, wait, I don't know how it's to say uh, under, you, you, over, over, underrated. But what does that mean? Her glutes though? are Accurately underrated. Scott, rated. That's good, underrated. That, uh, yes. Do I have very well developed hamstrings? No, we'll just say your glutes underrated. Okay, hamstrings. Yeah. Okay, underrated. Yeah. So yes. I've always had a decent backside, and um, I've never done heavy hip thrusts. Mm-hmm. I maybe me. did. For me personally, I found like the short, like a short bar, like usually even a group fitness bar. Right. And I would load maybe between 25 to 50 pounds aside. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Because it was about where I put them in my workouts that actually made sense. And it was about how I, what muscles I was using. I wasn't right. using everything but the kitchen sink. Like I was using it as a fine tooth chisel. Now, I've tried doing them heavy, and guess what? It didn't work shit for me. And all the machines that are out there for somebody who's five feet, they just don't feel they're right. They just, they're exactly, mm-hmm. they're just not made for me. I haven't been to a commercial gym since 2019, and I really don't want to go back. Because I'm, the whole, that, I don't want to see that shit. I want to, I'm keeping it in 2019. Good <laughs> memories. My, I, I, I love that you went off on this because that's the area where things have gotten lost. Like you said, as you get into camp and it's like, I like to ask people, like I would love to ask people that are doing really weird things in the gym. Mm -hmm. First off, what do you think you're doing? Because you're not. But then second, are you actually feeling it in that area? Yeah. Because that's where things get derailed. Are you you feeling it in your quads? Do you know how many women are saying that? I'm like, why are you feeling it in your quads? It's almost hard to do. <laughs> all right, good. So we, you, you all stuck to my answers pretty strong there. This one's a little bit of a personal attack against you Canadians. Uh, Canadian bacon. Oh, way overrated. Thank God. So Go ahead, you two. Like, I, you know what the funny thing Argue is? Argue for your crap. Go ahead. The, the funny thing is, we just call it bacon. Like I don't even know what Canadian bacon is. It's just bacon. We just it's, have bacon. It's like soggy bacon. Yeah. It's like ham. So we don't, I don't eat that. Yeah, it's like it ham. It is like ham. It is basically Yeah, ham. no, that, we don't say, eat that shit. So That's like, a made-up oh, thing. Yeah. <laughs> you guys eat bacon like we do. You eat yeah. American yeah. bacon. Yeah. You try to clog our crispy. Yeah. Yes. Oh, gross. Right. No, you not crispy. extra crispy. <laughs> yeah. I never okay. ask for ham on anything. No. Right. Well, you you just triggered Ron. You triggered Ron. We don't have to have this turkey is better than ham at Thanksgiving conversation again. Okay. <laughs> We're not going here again. We don't have time. Okay. I'm, I'm almost done. Canadian free health care. Overrated. Is it? 100%. But yes. you get your no, I medication will, I will, for free. I will, there is no choice. There is no choice. I think that a better system would be one that is a mixture of a blended. Because I think, number one, a lot of Americans perceive that Canadian healthcare is free. It's not free. Mm. We are Mm -hmm. paying either MSP or OHIP or whatever. So you're paying that. 
you also have to meet certain requirements and then you're also having to usually get a secondary insurance on the side whether it's Pacific Blue Cross or, or um, uh, I mean there's other ones as well and so in order for actually getting your medication covered you're getting a secondary insurance unless you're right. under a certain tax bracket or you're above a certain age or something like that so number one Canadian hmm. healthcare is not free you want to ride okay. in an ambulance in Ontario you're not that's not free you're paying, you're getting a bill for that so yeah, I think there's right. one, there's a perception that's definitely not accurate too. I have been to American hospitals, I've been to Canadian hospitals, and I would much rather be in an American hospital. I mean, Scott Absolutely. went to a trauma center in London, Ontario, and he was like, this is the most disgusting, old, <laughs> dingy place. And he was like, this is like one of Canada's best hospitals. And I was like, yeah. Yeah, it was a really old building. It just, it didn't look like like state-of-the-art, yeah. you know what I mean? That's not I uncommon. Think, yeah. yeah. No, and, and that's what I had to explain to him. And then I, we went to one when, when it's a couple, like, was that a year and a half ago, two years ago? Yeah. And I literally was like dumbfounded. I was like, Your do- the doctor just asked if he could get you anything to drink? I'm like, what? <laughs> what, yeah. what is this? Like, this is the cleanest, <laughs> nicest hospital. And like my mom was a, was a very high up in healthcare and she was a, she managed hospitals. She built hospitals. That was what her, and her career she did. And it, so it's like, I've been, I've seen the inside and intricacy and it, it's just, I don't think the Canadian healthcare system is all that people think it is. I think that for some people, it, it can be very beneficial in terms of, you know, being able to get a, elective surgeries covered to some extent, but you're not getting the best doctors. You don't have the choice. If you go in, you know, let's say you go and you tear your quad, Dusty, you might be six months to get a, any type of imaging done. Well, that's like, what I've run in. That's why I asked that topic is because I have a few clients from Canada mm-hmm. and their personal disease yeah. is that they that they wait. And I'm like, yeah. just yeah. go pay. What are you, you doing? You will die before you get certain <laughs> things done in Canada. And that's the sad reality yeah. of it. Yeah. Or you'll have um, care that's not, there's no continuity of care. There's no integrative mm-hmm. practice. Uh, we have such a terrible doctor shortage that even, I mean, to get a, a general practitioner, uh, you're going to have to, you know, really do research if you can even self-select into, say, like a, a gynecologist or an orthopedic surgeon, because if not, you're just going to get who the referral system is going to. Um, and if mm-hmm. you have any, you know, major health concerns, like, honestly, good luck. And I hate to say that, yep, but yep. I watched the medical system kill my mom. So it's just like the thing that she helped build. I watched it literally take her down. And it's the saddest thing because it's just not this utopian ideal that Americans, now that I'm, you know, on the other side, I'm going like, right. So I'd rather pay. My, yeah. My, my take on this is, um, she mentioned you don't get the great, you don't get the best doctor necessarily. Mm-hmm. There are some, mm-hmm. there's lots of amazing doctors, obviously, yeah. like there's some amazing doctors, but I, I really like the merit system, right? I yeah. want to be able to look up a doctor and see this guy's got five stars from a bunch of athletes. This is a guy I'm going to go see, yeah. right? We can't do that mm-hmm. in Canada. You get this luck, luck of who you get and you got to try to mm-hmm. shop around and convince someone to take you. It's just crazy. Yeah. Now, having said that, I'm not sure if I just got lucky or if, you know, maybe it's just because my doctor cared, but when I tore my quad, it was a full mm-hmm. rupture. So they took me straight to emergency and the doctor who walked in to see me happened to be a, a, a surgeon who, yeah. who worked on athletes and his specialty was actually 
he's he's like the guy they call if someone's arm and shoulder gets crushed. Yeah. He hmm. puts that back together. So I said, Hey, do I need a knee specialist? And he looked me straight in the eye and he goes, I'm 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 the guy you want. Yeah. Your quad tear is super easy. I can do this in my sleep. He goes, I hmm. put arms and shoulders and crushed hands back together. That's really intricate. This is super easy. I'm gonna take care of you. And then he turned and, and he comes back, he goes, um, I'm gonna ask you a question and you're gonna say yes. And I go, okay. And he goes, he goes, um, are you a professional athlete? And I go, yes. And he goes, good. That means I can get you in right away. And he turned and he like typed and he goes, I'm going to get you in within 72 hours because this has to be handled immediately. Don't let it, don't, do not let this go longer than that. I'm calling you. So nice. like, that's who I got. Yeah. Right. That was luck of the draw. Not, that's not what happens for no. everyone else. No. Wow. They get like, well, I don't think it's torn. Let's come back in a week if it's yeah. not getting better. Right. Yeah. That's what they get. It's all balled yeah, up. Absolutely. And the, you know, the, the crazy thing too is, is that like, you know, in, in the US, like you can do private labs. Yeah. Try yeah, doing private labs in Canada. There's like one company right now and they $90 for progesterone. I know oh, for one thing. For one thing. I know what progesterone yeah. should cost you. I know what the back end is. Like I when I saw that I was like, can you fly down? Can you drive across the border? Like cuz this does not this is not okay. This and so there's loopholes, but I hate having to take loopholes. Like, you know, sometimes right. depending on the, the, depending on the province you live in, you can see a naturopath, which is a pay for fee service. So you're going to be paying out of pocket and sometimes they might be able to do lab draws. So there are these ways around it. But, you know, if we're trying to create healthy humans as, you know, bodybuilding industry, it's like, you can't do that in Canada. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. Final thing, since I've completely derailed this. How do you feel about Scott's Crocs? I bought them for him. Is that to keep oh. other women away from him? <laughs> no, it, it was the only thing he asked for for Christmas. I had no choice. And it was when we were, the Christmas we spent apart because of COVID. So, like, I couldn't even do something like, you know, cook dinner Crazy. or, like, create. Yeah, yeah. no. Like, it was a I hard Christmas literally. Too was bound to one gift. She's not very good <laughs> you either. You set her up for failure. Yeah. You set her up for... She was the Canadian healthcare system. But I will tell you this. <laughs> I love my husband more than anything and anyone. But he sometimes gets a little bit... Um, sidetracked. Awesome. Sidetracked? <laughs> yeah. So Crocs provide us an ability to get out the door faster if he's wearing them. Uh, <laughs> this goes back to him leaving the house. I love this. I was like, where is this going? Yeah. Well, yeah. I usually don't wear him out. I mean, no, maybe no, to walk but like, the block. To walk the dogs, because you'll be like, oh, I'll be up in five minutes, and then like ten minutes later, and I'll be like, fuck, now he's got to go find his shoes. But if he's got his Crocs on, we're good. We just go. We're good. We're indoor, outdoor. I don't have to think. It's one less They make point. you a more versatile man. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. He puts the sport mode You're on an and we're good. Indoor, husband. Yeah. Sport yeah. mode on. Yeah. <laughs> Just clips him into place. Yeah. Yeah. Then yeah. we can walk faster with the dogs, yeah. you know? Yeah. I know oh, we're not going to go for a long walk when he has them on, but... Well, I, yeah, he also knows he's distance restricted, too, so yeah. there's no surprise in there. But there's, yeah. you know, we're, yeah. we're, we're out the door. <laughs> That's all true, too. That's 100% true. That's great. That's great. Yeah. This is so That's solid. Great. 
All right. Well, well, thank you for letting me uh, bring a little bit different side of you guys out. I needed that. That was fun. Yeah. I have to congratulate uh, Victoria on being our longest interview ever. Really? Oh, wow. No kidding. Yeah. Huh. Oh, yeah. Let's go. Yeah, because usually, Ron, you're like, well, we've taken an hour of your time. You've been very generous. Yeah. and Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Now we don't say I, any I, of that she's shit. right there in the house with you, so it's not like she yeah. has anywhere to go, right? She had to travel. So, yeah, you know, yeah. or anything. Yeah. It was awesome. No, oh, it's funny. <laughs> Actually, you know what, Ron? When you were talking about how we met and when we met, I had to laugh because I – we went for coffee the first day of grad school. You were at an event at Popeyes and Kits. Yeah, and that was yeah, my yeah. very first day of grad school. And I remember doubting myself and being like, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, I shouldn't be. And you were like, no, you're meant to do this. Here I am. Wow. Ron. Look at you. Look at you, hey, Ron. Instagram and grad school. Like, good yeah. job. One good well, decision, you, you one bad one. Good job. You were very obviously a very intellectual person. Like, I remember right off the bat, I just, you know, you meet some people and you just immediately go, this person's just fucking idiot. And then you meet some people and you're like, oh, yeah, this person's really got a huge capacity for absorbing information and is super curious and checks all the boxes for being a bit of a smarty pants. And uh, that was you. Yeah, yeah. That was you. So easily recognized. Thank easily recognized. You. What did you tell me to? You so, said Ron was always a good storyteller oh, at the gym. Oh, I mean, I, when you talk about like, yeah, you know. After the after the training sessions at Hardcore, I'm like, I wish people would have known. Like that, like in the front where the kind of the juice bar, like front little areas, it was like the church of Ron Partlow, and like people would just stop and sit and listen <laughs> if they were like coming in to do their workout or going out or even in their workout. It was just like they Look would you, they would stop and listen and sit, and sometimes it would be like. An hour and a half later, <laughs> and this I is after Ron's done training. Start a cult. Why don't you listen to me? Yeah, yeah. You could yeah be we, used to, we used to train, and and then after training, we just sit at the front. Yeah. And I just thought we were all socializing for an hour yeah. every day. Yeah. It was just you. Yeah. It, was just you. <laughs> no, it was great though. Like I mean, like like Jim was great. It was. No, it was, was like awesome. a it podcast, was... but only for those yeah. six people that were sitting pre, there. Yeah. Pre podcast, it yeah. was. Yeah. Yeah, it was like it was the Jim's little, you know, podcast that was for people walking through the foyer only. Yeah. 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 And only you know? certain like, you know, like the the gym crowd there, it was like a certain type of person went there, so they got yeah, it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> really. yeah. Well, I mean, your gym had a juice area. I thought that was cool yeah. all by itself. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Hardcore juice, juice. juice. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Mine didn't have that. It's said smoothie yeah. place. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, Dusty, time. do you remember when I met you? No, I don't remember much of anything. Remember, I almost died. Um, <laughs> <laughs> where did we meet? We met at... You were in Vancouver doing a guest appearance at a right. show. And it was in the lobby of the theater... And it was, everybody was in watching prejudging, and you sat out at the booth. You didn't go in. Yes. And I, I, I want to say it was, what year did you turn pro? 14. So it was 14. It was, you just turned pro, because I remember I congratulated you on turning pro, and your eyes got big, like, how the fuck does she know who I am, and how I just turned <laughs> pro? And then I had to explain that I'm friends with John Meadows, and, like, then we just, I think we talked well, I mean, it was a long ass show, 
because I think we talked like yeah. all of prejudging, which at that point there was like biki- <laughs> so many bikini girls, and yeah. um, and yeah, that was that was the first time we met. Yeah, well, because I did, I, I had done two other guest posings in Canada before that. Yeah. And I actually learned as a bodybuilder who knew bodybuilding to not watch prejudging or I would get angry. Yeah. Yeah. Because I almost always disagreed with the judging. Yeah. Hmm. So I was like, yeah, we're not, we're not going in there anymore. I just learned that I would get frustrated. <laughs> I was like, yeah, we're going to stay in the lobby from now on. <laughs> And usually that would mean I was hanging out alone because literally the, in Canada, like bodybuilding is really popular. Like, everyone goes in, like people leave their booths yeah. and go watch, you know, yeah. I mean, it's because no one steals anything. Much, yeah. yeah, it's Canada, yeah, like, right. in America. You come back out. There is no booth. Your table has no legs. It's just sitting on the ground. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that is classic. Oh, God, that's so- yeah, because well, I, I remember thanks. walking away from that conversation, Dustin, going like, either he was really bored, which is why he just talked to me for as long as he did, or maybe I know more about training than I actually do. And I was like, no, he was just oh. bored. That was what I settled on. <laughs> she, she determined. No, I'm actually very good at just. Yeah. If it was bad, I'd be like, yeah, I'm gonna go watch the show now. Hey, it was good meeting you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good times. Well, that that is uh, that was fantastic. Thank you for everything, Victoria, and uh, thanks for coming on the show. And hopefully, the people listening got like, you know, that was like full of some wisdom, sort of like some big picture stuff. I feel they could pull out of that, that you know, might check some other boxes in their head. You know what I mean? Sometimes you can instill a concept in someone, and it can sort of lead them in the right direction without having to actually you know, do it all yourself. So I, I think there's a lot there for people. And uh, I really appreciate what you had to say, too. There's some great reminders in there. So thank you for that. Well, thank you guys. For and how you. do people? Yeah, just give everybody the rundown, you know, your Instagram, uh, what you got coming up, that sort of thing. <laughs> my, my Instagram, I don't use very often. Um, I, it's but just, she has it. I have it. Uh, it's just victoriafelcar.com is my website. Uh, and my Facebook and my Instagram and my threads, which okay. I'm going to try to get into. Yeah, I think, I, think I can get on to that one. I think threads will be good for yeah. you. And and yeah. what's the big project right now? If you had to say you were working on one main goal right now, what what is it? Scott. <laughs> Side project, husband. PhD, finishing. There so, you go. Writing, but then when I've got uh, two speaking engagements this year too so i've got swiss in october we're heading to australia in august for a big one as well and possibly another one in december i think so okay okay so you're at the big smarty pant forums the swiss people that's great i'm excited swiss is gonna be cool yeah i'd love to come i'm unable to come but that would be great it's gonna be cool. We're okay, gonna get a bunch of followers. A bunch yeah. of our listeners are gonna go, so I'm excited to meet them. It'll be a bit of a meetup. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, thank you. Thank, thanks, Victoria. Uh, thank again, thanks, uh, Scott, the producer, and Dusty for everything. And remember, like, share, subscribe, comment, and ring the bell. There you go. I am mutant.com. Dusty twenty big round twenty. And remember. Keep a producer homed for the price of a cup of coffee 
the Think Big Bodybuilding <laughs> Media Patreon. There you yes. go, Scott. Thank you. Thank you. you know, and thank you to everybody yeah, yeah, yeah. who is uh, helping to support through Patreon. You guys are freaking awesome. You left us a bunch of questions. Some of them are for It's Just Bodybuilding. We will tackle them next time. You Perfect. bet. Thanks, everybody. And remember, It's Just Bodybuilding.